I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally, and we're your hosts of the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching the next mm-hmm. generation for Christ in our world today. Yes, and we have an amazing guest joining us today. But before that, if you're a first-time listener and you want to lean into some past episodes, please do so. You can subscribe, rate, review. We want to hear from you. Um, what is God teaching you? What learning has taken place in your heart, your leadership? Maybe you're leading a Bible study. Maybe you are a pastor with your first full-time job leaning into ministry and understanding that it's not as easy as a classroom once was, right? You get out of seminary, you get out of your four-year, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm in charge, and I'm 22. So if you have those questions, concerns, this podcast is for you as a leader to stay true to the heart of Christ, your calling, and also discover what is now, but also prepare for what is next. And we have an amazing guest who's going to hopefully shine some light on some um, status quo, maybe we're kind of up against in the ministry world, the leadership world, the young adult world, if you're 18 to 30 listening, and maybe a little beyond too, because this can all resonate with um, every listener, I believe. So, Josiah, who is this amazing guest? Welcome them to the show. His name is Peter Greer. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being with us. And uh, Peter is the president and CEO of Hope International. Prior to joining Hope, Peter worked internationally as a microfinance advisor in Cambodia and Zimbabwe and as managing director for the Urwego Bank in Rwanda. Peter has co-authored 14 books. I love it. And many awards for being an author. And uh, he's also a husband, dad, and follower of Jesus. And um, we're just excited. Here's the deal. I was thinking about verse of the day this morning. And where I think we should go for this conversation is First Peter, mm. um, not because it's our guest name, but just because it was on our heart. But I think you'll see why it ties in. First Peter 1 and 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus mm. Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're not in darkness. Right. Even though the world around us is dark, we are not people without hope. We have a living and a lasting hope. And um, Peter, we're excited. Can we just lean into some of your journey, some of your life and leadership? And where I know we're going to go with this conversation is um, maybe disillusionment, maybe things that have been rough, things that also Mm. like maybe people are down and out, discouraged. Mm facing challenges today and we want to fill them up with the encouragement and the joy and the lasting hope that they need but can you just dive into your life journey and story absolutely and i look forward to diving into that we do have reason to have a hope uh, a living hope so yeah love this conversation and love the time with both of you and um, yeah, I mean, the real quick story is when I was uh, growing up, I was a pastor's kid and I had the enormous gift of having parents that um, shared about that hope and then lived it out as well. And looking back, I recognize that was an enormous gift. Mm-hmm. You know, as a 
uh, elementary school or middle schooler, you don't always love that you're the pastor's kid. Uh, but looking back, I realized that I definitely had a gift of, of parents that uh, taught it and lived it. And when I was um, growing up, we also would take a bunch of trips. We go and travel and experience different different places of service around the world. And on one of those trips, I remember the distinct impression of I loved what I was getting from this trip. I loved how it was shaping me but were we really making an impact? Like, mm -hmm. were, were we really changing anything mm -hmm. in this situation? And, um, and, you know, it was a kind of traditional one. You go in and you do these projects and you look and there's all these individuals who are ready to work. They want a job. And in many ways, it felt like, what is going on here? So really became fascinated on this intersection of, of missions and in empowering, equipping, grassroots yeah. entrepreneurship in the place that we serve. And really this mission of how do we share the hope of Jesus and help individuals that want to work have jobs to provide for their families. So that really has been my life uh, work, doing it within the broader space of economic development and missions in a variety of different countries and contexts. And with Hope International, we now work in 17 countries and just, um, yeah, really been just a fantastic opportunity to realize there's so much potential if we can just invest in our brothers and sisters around the world and in some ways get out of the way and watch what they do as they transform their communities, as they build their churches and the gift of walking together in that. Yes, Peter, I think that's amazing. I think if you've ever been on a, a mission trip as a listener or you are taking a trip in state, out of state, in country, out of country, you, you're all hyped up because you're like, I'm going to go, we're going to change this community, we're going to change the world. And, you know, like you go in and you're all amped up and you realize like, oh my gosh, like those people in that village, they changed me. There it is. And I think like that's a part of the heart of Christ when you're going into those places. And granted, like we are not the savior to come in with a savior mentality. We have the answers because we're an American or whatever. Like we have different um, <laughs> privileges of indoor plumbing and, you know, electricity and all these different things. But the heart of Christ um, really exudes through some of the most poverty-stricken places, in my opinion, of what I've experienced, of their joy, they're relying on the Lord, they're relying on Him to bring water, to bring healing, to bring food every meal and every day. When we have our whole meal prepped for the week, and we're like, okay, on Saturday, whatever, it's Friday night, it's a pizza party night. Like we don't question those things, you know. So when you get off that plane, you're back in the states from China or um, wherever you're going, Rwanda or whatever. You're just like. Wow, what a reality check to recognize and realize every person on earth needs to be offered the hope of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we forget, I forget that. I shouldn't say we, I forget that. We have the answer. We're not the answer. And many of our listeners are in their role of leadership or marketplace ministry, or they're living on mission in the classroom, doing taxes behind a desk, wanting to change the world in the community God has planted and placed them. And a lot of our young leaders, like we aim to perform, you know, like what are the numbers? What are the stats? So we, we need to look at those margins of course so we take those into consideration in our occupations but we usually like get to middle age and we hit burnout and if someone finds themselves maybe in a pit today of despair like just nearing that burnout kneeling the nearing the end of themselves how do you want to encourage them or what do you have for them and what can you offer them who maybe find them place themselves in that place today yeah 
And if the uh, there's a number of recent studies that really highlight there's a lot of individuals that are in that position um, and and a growing that is a growing number of individuals that are hitting that wall or becoming mm -hmm. disillusioned and and so that really is um, who we wrote the book for, um, awesome. the gift of disillusionment. And the great personal gift that I received is we started working on this in 2019. Um, and little did we know that the next season was going to be by far the most challenging of my career, uh, by far the most wow. challenging in the every aspect of hope being disrupted, um, relationships being disrupted, the ability to get together and gather being disrupted. And, and this book was God's little gift. Um, but just two thoughts. Um, and I know we're going to have a chance to unpack this a little more, but just two thoughts that relate to really to this moment that we're living in. One is um, if individuals are in service sectors, there has never been more disappointment, discouragement, and disillusionment. Um, the recent study that came out, if you're a pastor under age 45, um, you have over 44% uh, of them are considering or daydream about, about how do they get out of the ministry? How do they get out? If you're an educator, if you're a teacher, a recent study said 48% of them are trying to get to another school or another profession. If you're in the health industry, if you've been a nurse, um, oh, almost 50% are exploring how do we get out? So you look at these service sectors and literally one out of two approximately are thinking about how do we get out because this has been such a discouraging and difficult time. And imagine if you're a teacher, going online and dealing with parents and the polarization that rips through classrooms and communities. And it's just hard. So mm -hmm. the, the research that we did, and this is the second thought, is I think we have a lot to learn, not only from examples in scripture of individuals that have this, as Eugene Peterson writes, this long obedience in the same direction, but I think we have a lot of stories that need to be told right now of individuals that have been facing similar obstacles, similar challenges, felt that same tug either towards cynicism or towards I'm out. And yet they didn't give up. They mm -hmm. didn't tap out. And what can we learn about those individuals in our methodology? We tried to find individuals that had approximately 40 years of long-term faithful obedience in the same direction. Most of them, no one's ever heard of, but just silently been showing up day after day, loving as Christ has loved them and asking them questions of how do you keep going? Mm -hmm. How have you protected your heart uh, from disillusionment or despair or cynicism? And how have you kept this uh, commitment to Christ, commitment to service? And what can we learn from those stories? Too many bad news stories keep hitting the headlines. We wanted right. to highlight what are some good news stories of individuals that have just been serving as measured in decades. Right. Incredible. And fun quick story, Peter, is um, I think it was maybe actually around April 1st. It might not have been April Fool's Day, but mm -hmm. um, I get a, a text and then a call from my friend Rob and he's like, hey, spot just opened up. All expenses paid. Do you want to come to Israel? We'll be there during the Holy Week. And I was like, man, we've got two young girls. We're in the midst of transition. And I was like, ah, and he's, he goes, it's next week and you got to <laughs> let me know in the next hour. And so I'm like, my wife's not home right now. Like, give me just an hour or two. Let me connect and at least ask to see if I can go. He goes, bro, I'm not trying to apply pressure, but 
I need an answer. He goes, the spot's going to fill either with you or somebody else. So I'm like, well, it's probably a no, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Turned out to be a yes. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm going there, I was there as I graduated college for grad school and was spent a month in Israel. And one of the things that I remembered is people who were pilgrims who would go to Jerusalem to worship God, they would kind of sing these songs of ascent. Mm. And they're written in Psalm 121 through 135 of Scripture. And they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And so I also love reading. So I have been like journaling each day Psalms of Ascent, like kind of thinking about them, meditating on them, journaling. And then I needed a good book for a long flight. So I pick up Eugene Peterson's Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It had been, I've heard so many good things about it. And even just the title, it's like, come on. And I go and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's on the Psalms of Ascent. Like, And so all that to say, I love um, the Psalms of Ascent. I love this concept of we're in, in the pit of despair. Where we're going to go is we're going to look not to the hills, but actually to the maker of the hills. He's where our help comes from. He's where our hope mm-hmm. comes from. And so we're not going to get disillusioned. We're not going to be people without hope or discouraged. We're going to have this strength be renewed. We're going to soar like wings of eagles. And at the same time, it's this thought process of renewal. And I think that that's what worship does, is it renews our minds, mm-hmm. renews our thoughts. And I'm just curious from you in this recent research and this study Leaders who have hit that stride of longevity, who have finished well. I'm curious, like, what have you found in your research, case studies of what role does thought life play in the life of a leader? Mm. Why are things like joy, positivity, optimism, desirable qualities for us as young leaders? You know, I think of one of the early conversations with uh, Reverend Fry. Um, so I spent some time living in Zimbabwe and I experienced some of the challenges um, at that time of hyperinflation, literally prices are doubling every 24 hours um, at its height. And just imagining what does that do? You've got your life savings and it's taken away and you're watching a corrupt regime um, continue to have injustice after injustice. And um, he was in church leadership and he ended up speaking out against the uh, corruption of the church. He spoke out against the corruption of the nation. And uh, that did not make him a popular person uh, with those in power. Mm-hmm. And um, as he is as he is doing this, I mean, truly death threats, truly having all of these challenges, he said that when he would go to church, he would bring two things. Um, and he would encourage his uh, parishioners to also bring two things, bring your Bible, and bring a wet cloth so that when tear gas is thrown into the uh, place that we're worshiping, we can cover our faces and we can get to, to, to get out of that location. So that is their reality. Um, And I don't know about you, but in a situation like that, I would be tempted, especially with a family uh, like he has, and especially on that, is it still worth it? Um, Is it, is it still worth it? Um, and he said at that time, um, he started preaching through the book of Jeremiah and he found another individual that faced death threats that lost everything. Um, and, 
uh, had challenge after challenge. And certainly, you know, he had a lot to mourn as he watched his beloved homeland, that homeland that you visited, watching that fall um, in a horrific way, watching the most brutal nation come in and and destroy um, everything and then take him into captivity. Um, and yet he was faithful. Like he kept going. He, mm-hmm. he wow. kept actually being a faithful obedient to the call that he had had on his life. And so here we have someone who modern day is facing a lot of these same issues, um, looking to the example of Jeremiah. And that really shaped our research. It shaped our kind of methodology of saying, what is it? Because most people know there's one verse from Jeremiah that is very, very popular uh, for, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plan to give you hope. And if you like, not to harm you. And, and yet you look when those words were spoken and I'm sure Jeremiah, even as he is receiving these words are like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you not yeah. see yeah. what is happening? Everything is falling apart. And yet they were true, but not in the way and not in the timeline uh, that he ended up thinking. And so again, we, we started just looking with new eyes into who is this, who is this prophet Jeremiah mm-hmm. and what does he have to teach us today that might be feeling like this mm-hmm. is a difficult season. This is a tough season <clears throat> yeah. of service. Um, and from global leaders that are living out the same things rooted in this incredible story of what does it take to persevere when things get really difficult? Um, oh, I just feel like there is so much relevance to the message that God gave Jeremiah thousands of years ago uh, about what is it that allows us to hold on to hope mm-hmm. independent of circumstance. And I think that's a message that I needed these last few years. I think that's a message we all need right now, a little more hope that is firm and secure, independent of circumstance. That's so good. I just keep thinking the two words, serving and suffering, serving and suffering. Like not to say that they go hand in hand, but there's hands that are willing to be used to serve, but there's going to be those challenges along the way. And our challenges can look very different. Every leader can come up with something different. Sometimes it's health challenges. Sometimes it's a form of corruption in leadership. It can be um, distrust. It can be it can be COVID. It can be just crazy stuff like that. So knowing that suffering isn't always only physical, but there are different elements that can, you know, come into play when we are trying to live well, lead well, and just learn well of what does God want to teach me through Jeremiah's um, story? What does he want to teach me through his life? And how is my life um, paralleling with aspects of the word of God? And, And God always shines through, right? And, but the question I have is like, Nurturing your passion for long-term ministry. One of our prayers and passions um, as a couple is that we we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That we will leave a legacy behind bigger than ourselves. And a legacy should be worth living for and worth dying for. And we feel like our calling is young adults. Like what about the 18 to 30 year old who's, you know, fallen through, you know, parts of the church or they feel like they don't have a place but like nurturing our passion as leaders like for long-term longevity and ministry how do we do that as leaders and stay the course true to the heart of Christ like how do we do that and what do you have to um encourage us with in that area (laughs) or challenge us (laughs) no I think it actually ties to what you were just saying a moment ago the connection with service and suffering 
And in many ways, individuals that step out in service, um, there is an element of idealism that we all have. And it's a wonderful force. It's this idea that we see things that are wrong and we say, I'm going to do something. Mm -hmm. You looked and you saw the need uh, to, to, to reach and serve and equip young adults uh, early in their lives and help shape that path. And there's an element of idealism. Let's, let's do this. Let's go love and let's go serve. Mm -hmm. But the inevitability of suffering and suffering maybe is the wrong word, but the inevitability of challenge, of obstacle, of pain, and you, all of us uh, hit those moments, mm -hmm. uh, hit those moments when there is a critique that comes early. There is a betrayal that hits so close to home. There is something that you had spent so much time caring for, and then it falls apart. And, and so not to be... <laughs> Uh, a downer on, on this podcast, but if you step out in service of any kind, I think that's kind of the, the piece that is the illusion, the illusion uh, that things are going to go up and to the right, that things are going to go well. And, and that's just not true. You talk to anyone that has long-term service and they will tell you about those dark nights of the soul. They right. will tell you about those difficult moments. And so I think the the first key to your question about like, how do we sustain long-term service? I think it's a recalibration of expectation and replacing idealism with an informed optimism. This idea about idealism doesn't, doesn't hold you when the real, real difficult things, but you have an informed optimism, which is, mm -hmm. yeah, this is supposed to be hard. And Jesus actually gave us the cliff notes that in this life, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> it's supposed to be hard. Right. Um, but the optimism is, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's, it's saying, let's get ready. And I think a lot of individuals, when they step out, this, they have this idea about service and they don't understand that if you step out, you are going against forces that do not want you to succeed at an individual, do not want the good work that you're a part of to go forward. And you are going to get kicked in the teeth. You are going to get hurt. Um, it is going to to be challenging and it is going to be so much better than you can imagine when you see those moments of breakthrough and the ultimate moment when you do get to hear those words of well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, so I think that to me is, is, you know, let's, let's, let's see idealism for what it is, the wonderful way that prompts us to step out, but let's come to the end of our idealism and let's replace it with a true hope that is rooted in something that is so much bigger and so much better than just this idea that we're going to go change the world. Uh, let's, let's look to the ultimate example of where our help comes from. That's so good. I got yeah. a visual while he was talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I show the funny Please. visual? Okay. When you said that we were going to get kicked in the teeth, it's inevitable. And I don't disagree, but the visual I got is like, us expecting to have like be on the playing field of God's team, right? Our jerseys are clean and we're there to play, um, but we're all going to be winners at the end. Wrong. Like we're on the winning team. Like we've already won when we're conquerors in Christ. But when we get in the field, it's like it's a game of rugby. Like <laughs> you might not have your teeth. You are in the what is that huddle called? A uh, screw, screw something. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, yeah. but it's like you're like arms locked, you know, playing this game, and it's like. I think in my mind, you're like, oh, I'm going to go play this fun little, little sport or whatever. I'm like, no, like this is a full-fledged 
rugby tournament if you don't come out on the other side you didn't play hard enough (laughs) speaking of rugby i remember watching some of our students play varsity rugby oh no and it was the first time i had ever seen it and there is a full-blown ambulance on the sideline of every game also the guy one of the guys that i was there to watch phenomenal athlete like literally um enlisted in the military like incredible athlete and uh I watched him come to the sideline straight up like thumb wiggling, like broken. And then they like tape it up. They um, adjust, uh, like what they put it in place. Ooh. They set it. That's it. They, they set, set it his back thumb in place. And they just tape it up. And he's got like a half cast on. It took about five minutes and he's back in the game. <laughs> and so like I, I think that's a great word picture or I had a, a context for that. And I think that's leadership sometimes yeah. is there's moments of Peter, you were, you held back no punches. There's betrayal. Jesus yeah. had it. Mm-hmm. The greatest leader of all time mm-hmm. still, you know, one in 12 was kind of his ratio of people who were close to him that he still let in knowing he, he let Judas kiss him on the cheek. And uh, I just look at that. It's like, wow. Peter denied him. People are going to deny us as leaders. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So there is that sense of reality check. And I'm curious about this, your vantage point. Would you say that you see a shortage of quality, genuine, sincere leaders? Hmm. No, I don't at all. I, I, I think there are quality, sincere, genuine leaders in abundance. I would say... I see a significant lack of genuine, sincere, talented leaders that last. Mm. I think that to me is the difference. And there is something that happens in, in between years three and seven, and you can set your calendar to it. Um, And it's years three to seven when it gets really, really difficult. And the question is, what is the response in those moments? And I think we do not get to see the benefit of the leaders that are in year 30 um, because they pull the plug in year three um, on that. So that's what I think. That's, that's, that's my heart, um, honestly. And, and so we work with a ton of uh, individuals um, in with Hope International. We have an incredible group of interns that come in and I am so thankful for them. They come in with so much energy, so much excitement. Um, but there's always a little bit of uh, wanting to say, um, you know, hold on, hold on. Like, it's going to get hard. It's going to get more difficult than you can imagine. But but hold on um, in those moments, um, because on the other side, that's when you really see the benefit. So to me, that's the key piece is I just long to see more and more leaders that measure their tenure of service um, in in decades and not in in one, two, three, or four years. That's so good. And Peter, I would say like the leading, one of the leading stats that we went to school in downtown Minneapolis and we have seen most people who go to school for ministry, whether it's youth ministry, young adult ministry, or hybrid of both, they don't generally make it past year five. Year five is kind of a thing, or they're not in a place for more than three to four years. It's like, okay, new place, or they get a new role, whether it's executive or lead, or they're kind of just transitions within the church. And so I, I 
I like your answer. I'll say that. That was a great answer. <laughs> it's fascinating you use the time frame of like three years to seven years because two statistics that I've heard, example in like next gen ministry, the average tenure of the length of leadership in a role is three years. Mm-hmm. And yet what we hear is it takes seven years to build trust in a community. So it's fascinating and like I'll just say this about this conversation. I have zero appetite for gossip. I have zero appetite for like naming names or looking at headlines or just like the leaders leaders who fall and it seems like in our world and media, if it mm. bleeds, it leads. And there are stories often of leaders who are not finishing well and they're bleeding so that headline leads and it's a lot of clickbait and and there's just it seems like our world has an appetite for that and so i i love just what i'm taking away from our conversation peter is like no there's not a great there's not a crisis of sincere genuine quality leaders the crisis is lasting that's Mm. that's the Mm. key word and i think that that resonates and um I'd just be curious to hear, um, because when you talk about 18 to 30 year olds, young adults, um, there's actually, actually Dr. James Chung from the Navigators. He's actually, um, put out kind of like some research on, he found that at the core of every generation, Mm. there is like a key question. And he found that with like boomers, their key question is what is true? So you saw a rise in apologetics, you saw like absolute truth was a core value with Gen X. It was like, what is real? And so you saw a rise of um, the seeker movement, experiential encounters with God, with millennials, um, my generation, our generation. Mm -hmm. The question oftentimes is like, what is good in our world? How can we restore justice? How can we see heaven on earth? And then with Generation Z, he, he believes that the question is like, what is beautiful? Hmm. And so I think with that framework, zeroing in on the next generation of say in leadership of millennials and generation Z, one of the things that's been hard for me to reconcile as a young leader is God is good. And sometimes <laughs> also, okay, take it a step further with generation Z. God is absolutely beautiful. His creation, his church is beautiful, the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. right? And then I think the hard thing to reconcile is when we see things in the church that aren't good and they aren't beautiful. And we're totally imperfect people serving a perfect God. But do you have thoughts on helping young leaders reconcile mm. the bad, the messy, the ugly, <laughs> and the messy? in the process and and to not get disillusioned by it. I think you articulate one of the key challenges, right? Is when individuals look at a divided world and then they look at a church and see the same sense of division or they see moral failures and high levels of Wall Street. And then they look at church leadership and they see the same issues. And I think that uh, leads to the sense of of disillusionment. Um, And for some, that leads them to say, then I'm going to give up. Um, And I mean, that 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 breaks my heart um, on that. Um, And it breaks my heart for two reasons. Um, One, because 
there's so much good and beautiful work that is being done in mm-hmm. the name of Jesus by sure. followers that does not make headlines. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I feel like um, in some ways uh, it is not a representative sample uh, to just choose the, the stories of, of challenge um, and to not be able to disaggregate the actions of a few um, from the witness of the church. Um, right. And so I think that's, that's one key piece. But I think the other, the other key challenge is um, throughout history, anytime we have looked uh, to individuals as our ultimate example, um, as our ultimate hope, um, we are misplacing uh, our, our hope, we're misplacing our, our heart connection. And so if there is a leader that you have emulated to such a degree um, that you look more to them than to Jesus, um, that is a misplaced confidence that is setting you up for a crisis of faith that might actually not be a crisis of faith as much as a crisis of that particular leader that went down um, a, a, a wrong path um, on that. So I just, again, I love that we started this with the Psalms of Ascent. I love that that's actually where, where you know, we started on that. And let's, let's remember, <laughs> I do not look to the leader from where my help comes from. I do not look to the church or the organization from where my help comes from. I look to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Like that's the only one uh, that we ultimately should be focused. So again, then are we surprised when we hear other stories of bad news? Nope. Fallen individuals. Are we surprised when there is really difficult stuff in service? Nope. It's supposed to be hard. And let's keep looking to the Lord of heaven and earth. We will not be disappointed uh, if that is where our hope is anchored. I love that, Peter. That's awesome. And um, just kind of maybe switching a little bit directions. We know before we hit record that you had alluded to the fact that you were able to spend some time with your son. You didn't tell us his age. So if he is a young adult or he has been a young adult or he's going to be a young adult, um, just knowing that you have a son. And I would just be curious why you believe that the next generation and young adult ministry is so important and vital. Do you have a passion for that? (laughs) Yeah, no. So my kids are 17, 16, 13, and 10. Oh, here they come. I absolutely love time with them. And I have tried to every year with intentionality to say, this is a small season. I want to make sure that I am not looking back um, and realize it just went so quickly. So I try to do experiences uh, with, with each of them. Um, yeah. Every year that we're going to remember for a long time to come. And actually on the plane ride home last night, uh, Keith was, uh, we were looking at pictures together of different experiences that we had and just reliving some really, really special moments. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely, definitely, um, realized, but why, why that year? And I think this is, uh, so hard, certainly when I was at that stage, um, to realize, but the decisions that we make have a compound impact on the rest of our lives. So almost like with, you know, finances, the classic one, if you invest $100 a month between ages 16 and 25, that will accumulate to be more than da, 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 you know, all these thousands of dollars later. And I think in a similar way, it's 
it, the decisions that you make at that stage in life, they have a compounding impact on the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I just, I love what you guys do. I love the intentionality. Um, and maybe that's kind of just the word that stands out to me is the decisions that you make, um, man, they matter for the rest of your life, the habits that you set up, um, the, 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 what you choose, uh, to, yeah, what you choose to focus on at that stage shapes who you become in the longer term time horizon of your life. So it's just, yeah, it's a critical time. And I love that you guys are pouring into individuals at that, at that really important moment. Man, we kind of see it as this like intersection of like, okay, you were in this neighborhood and you were spending time there and it was called home and now you're like going to go across the path and it's kind of like there's planes, trains, (laughs) automobiles, it's all happening right at this critical juncture and there's the military over there, the marketplace, higher education, the world is at your fingertips and it's like we, the why for us is we want to park at that intersection Mm -hmm. and help people transition well into life, into faith, into adulting. And the listener does too as well. Like that's why they're tuning into this show is they believe Mm -hmm. that the faith of the next generation is worth everything. It's worth living for. It's worth dying for. And um, one of the things as a global leader that I'd be curious to pick your brain about. Off script. Yes, it it is off script. But I know (laughs) that you know so much more than me about this. It's, it's this idea of micro lending. It's this idea of microfinance. I think that there is massive need for this. There's also massive potential, but I don't know a lot about it. What I do know is Web 3.0 is on the cusp. There's some cryptocurrencies that I've heard about and researched <laughs> that that's their whole use case is to help micro lending globally, to help microfinance. And even sometimes like what I do know is there's a conversion rate from the dollar to the yen or the dollar to the pound or the dollar to anything. And sometimes these cryptocurrencies could be a globalized currency that even help in, and cut down fees and reduce the speed of transactions. So that's where my mind's at. But can you talk about like broadly, if somebody's never mm-hmm. heard of micro lending or microfinance, what is it and why might it matter? to a global economy or even to missions, to business, to our world today. Are you ready for that? Yeah, no, I mean, there's so much that we could have fun unpacking together there and talking, but yeah, this definitely has been my career of how do we help entrepreneurs with the tools, training and capital uh, for them to start or expand small businesses and how can the church be at the forefront? When I graduated from college, I was so frustrated because I heard about this tool that just made sense to me. Um, And yet it was really hard to find organizations that were doing that and trying to point people to the hope of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that has kind of been my my life's work um, on that. And for those that are not familiar with it, um, I mean, maybe the simplest uh, example is if you've got a tractor and you're a farmer and you've got no gas in the tank, that tractor does not do a whole lot of productive work in getting your fields ready for harvest. And around the world, there just are too many individuals with capacity created in the image of God, with creativity and drive and talent, and just have never had the gas in the tank, the ability to have resources so that they can take all of that capacity and put it to work um, on that. 
so that's what we do. Uh, found a way uh, to mobilize capital and you know, we now have served um, over 2 million entrepreneurs um, throughout Hope's history. We've lent out uh, now $1.4 billion of uh, small loans. Um, we've helped mobilize tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars in uh, their own savings uh, that now helps them prepare for the next disaster that's coming up. We've had a 98% repayment rate showing that uh, they are credit worthy. They just have never been given the opportunity. And um, yeah, so that's that's really the space that we're in. So it's trying to take that capacity and then match it with capital and to do it in such a way that the the the, the dignified kind of approach and and reinforcement of individuals not as not not as poor. Um, I that's not yeah. how we want individuals to see themselves. Right. We, we never even use that word in talking about the families that we we serve, uh, but see them as God sees them, beloved children of God, and with incredible capacity that we just want to help them uh, realize and tap into, and then watch what happens with them as they become the providers in their community, as they become uh, the employers in their community. And uh, yeah, so that's really it. It's amazing. Like, what might be the size of one of these micro loans with microfinance that would help create sustainable income, wealth, mm -hmm. um, food, jobs, maybe in communities? Like, we understand the importance of small business in America, that it's mm -hmm. the backbone of the economy. But to go global for a second, okay, investing in one of these two million entrepreneurs or farmers or workers or business owners, what might be the size of a micro loan? Yeah, and I might actually start with something that might be a little counterintuitive, but we actually believe it's best to start with savings uh, before getting into access of capital. So when yeah. individuals start saving, I mean, they're saving five cents a week. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's in some ways you might say, but that seems inconsequential. But it's not. As you start wow. saving, you start thinking about the future. You start gathering together as a community. You start taking those small steps that then lead to more significant. So our average loan size, um, about a little over $250 for the initial size. But then we help entrepreneurs grow and we do much larger loans, uh, 5000 10000 20000 for them to really expand uh, their enterprises and ultimately become job creators in their in their place. So we've done a lot of significant uh, work in agriculture and, and coffee yeah. production right now and helping entrepreneurs realize more of the benefit from their work. You asked about cryptocurrency as well. That's something we are actively exploring. And yeah. I will say that right now, the volatility is the key challenge to that that right now, if you are working your way out of poverty, your risk tolerance is less than yours or mine. We yep. can put some in, we can risk and you know it goes up and it goes down. If you're living on the fragile fringe, uh, you do not have that same ability to withstand those cycles. So risk tolerance is a really important thing to understand. And until cryptocurrencies have a little bit less uh, volatility. I don't think it's yeah. gonna, exactly. I don't think that it's gonna be the right tool for the most vulnerable until it becomes less risky than their national currency um, on that. Right, I, the, I think I agree 100%. The, the curiosity in my brain is like, man, if you could reduce some of the 
transaction fees if you can make it quicker and faster and there's not <laughs> some of those you know hurdles tr transfer fees and conversion and all of that so i see potential but i also think it's so wise to count the cost and mm. to be having the conversation but inspired inspired so no and and the one kind of precursor to that is we're seeing more and more individuals uh i mean what 20 years ago you would be in a remote area you would have no cell coverage there would be absolutely <laughs> no phones in that region and today uh it is not uncommon now um and i think this is just a little bit of poetic justice but you know for how many years when individuals go on these trips they're taking pictures they're not asking permission they're just going and taking pictures and and now guess who's taking all the pictures you're in the most remote place and they're whipping out their phones and they're looking at this crazy group of foreigners um, and uh, finding wonderful, humorous moments that they're sharing with their friends um, about this hilarious. group that came in. So at about 70% um, in several countries of our transactions now are digital transactions. And that's a precursor for what I do believe is coming. I, I think there's something significant that is going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, it still feels a little bit more, there's more need for exploration before we really see application within the space that we're in of, of micro enterprise development. Spot on. That's so good. Well, Peter, we've come to one of our favorite parts of the episode where we have five final questions. It's called five and five. So they're rapid fire questions. You have five minutes on the clock. Are you up for a fun challenge? I'm in. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay, question number one, Peter. What's something you're into right now as a hobby that you do for fun outside of work? Oh, man, we've really enjoyed All Trails, the app, um, and just exploring Ooh. all around us. Um, and if you want a bonus one, on top of that, there is um, Hip Camp. It's kind of like an Airbnb for camping sites. Yeah. And so we found just some crazy off the beaten path, middle of nowhere uh, pieces. So I don't know, spent a lot of time on screens and getting out into nature with all trails. Um, yeah, has just been life-giving. That's fun. Okay, so let's say you're packing for an adventure and you're packing to come to Minnesota to go to Lake of the Woods near International Falls, just hypothetically, right? What's the road trip snack or like, what's your go-to treat uh, when, when you're up for an adventure? Oh man, I mean, funny that you say that because I could show you what is left over in my backpack to still show the remnants. Uh, I mean, but nothing too adventuresome. Uh, the granola bars, the power bars, uh, but if I would say kind of my um, piece that I would always love to, uh, dried fruit, I just, dried I fruit. absolutely love it. So I actually bought a dehydrator and we're kind of a make your own family yep. uh, with that. So yep, dried fruit would be my, uh, my, my, my number one spot. That's amazing. All right, so here's another question. Maybe this is a trail type thing, but question three, what are you looking forward to in the near future? Oh, their immediate uh, one that comes in uh, is maybe we're all on the same theme, but uh, we are going away as a family. And um, again, just the ages of the kids, uh, 17, 16, 13, 10, we're just in this sweet spot um, of, of being away together. And, and so that's good. But um, my family very graciously um, agrees to the uh, no tech uh, time 
on that. So um, we were really impacted by Andy Crouch. Um, yes. And uh, he wrote a book called The TechWise Family. And basically it's one, uh, you know, one hour a day, uh, one day a week, one week mm-hmm. a year as just having this chance to unplug. And I think there is so much wisdom in helping to break that uh, addiction that a lot of really smart people are working really, really hard to capture us um, on that. So that's probably what I'm most excited about. Time with family uh, with the absence of tech. That's awesome. And we actually just read one of our new, one of my new favorite books. It's called Digital Detox. And it takes your family through digital detox, two weeks, no technology. And the premise of the book is to eliminate that hub of, I don't know, craziness, but also see your children's spiritual gifts come alive, like what they naturally like naturally been to, um, whether it's arts or crafts or music or talent shows. Like, so what's her name? Holly DeFrank. Molly DeFrank. Molly DeFrank, yep. She Great just wrote, book. it was so good. It literally came out like maybe a month ago, yep. if that. So and if you want to listen to the episode, we just um, aired it as well on Young Adults Today. And I would just say That's this, fun. Peter, you're inspiring <clears throat> to me as a young dad. Our girls are two and one. And so they're tiny, but I'm just <laughs> inspired. The dad in me talking to you about like, hey, I was with my son in Northern Minnesota, like making these memories. I'm really inspired. And um, question four of five is the curveball. If you could ask Mike and I anything, no topics off limit, what would you want to know? So this is like a teaser, right? Because then there's not time in the five minutes for you to actually answer the question. So we can take as much time I, as you want us. To. I mean, I just, I, I guess for me, it's, it's when, when I spend time with the two of you, uh, there is, there is a hopefulness. Um, there is an excitement uh, that comes through that is so, so I guess I would love to explore similar themes of what we've been talking about, but like what sustains your hope um, in this season? What causes you uh, to still embody? Uh, yeah, just such a, yeah, yeah beautiful sense of hope. First. Yeah. I think for me, I'm a very futuristic person, very driven in the sense of the entrepreneurial side of things. I have a degree in business communication as well as um, young adult ministry. So just like the dreaming, the ability to dream something up and allow God to birth whatever he downloads to me or lets me utilize, I guess. Um, Yeah, just knowing that we have an opportunity to make an impact on this earth and the world and the people around us. And we do want to see people's lives change. We do want to see the chains fall. We do want to see them experience the fullness of God. And I think for us to have the gift of hospitality and have the gift of faith and to allow God to use my hands to create things better than I found them, to leave people better than I found them, to experience the goodness of God um, in all aspects of life, even when it's a difficult transition or like feel like you're trudging through the mud a little bit to realize like, hey, on the other side of this journey or mountain, I still wanna look back and know that we finished well, we ended well, we honored leadership, and we have something exciting to look forward to. It's kind of like during COVID, why was everybody so discouraged? One, you couldn't leave your house. Two, all travel, all plans, all holidays are canceled. And I think for Josiah and myself, a hope of looking forward to not the next, but to have something on the calendar to look forward to, whether it's together, a family trip, a date night, even throughout like the week of pizza party uh, happens every Friday night in our house. So our daughter does the pizza party dance. So, I mean, it's just those small things in life 
life that make a big impact on just our attitude and gratefulness towards what we get to do, not what we have to do. I think that's one thing I got God downloaded to me years ago. Like you don't have to pray to me, you get to pray to me. You don't have to serve me, you get to serve me. And I think that is a a position and a condition of the heart. And I don't know, hopefully that answers your question. I was probably five minutes there, sorry. (laughs) I'd say everything Micah said and then on a personal note, is like I think one of the most frequently asked questions that I get or really that she gets say people meet me and they they, they is he really that happy all the time that's what people (laughs) ask me and at a young age I went through some stuff and I've like I've had sadness I've had Mm -hmm. discouragement I've had tension headaches all of those things Mm -hmm. And so I would say one of the most convincing proofs in my own life, in my testimony of the existence of God, was the renewing of my mind, the transformation mm. of my thought life. And so it's like perfectionism. You, yeah, where all those you, things. Yeah. If you knew then, if you saw me then, like I think you'd understand the joy that God's brought me. Mm. This promise that He's turned mourning into dancing, that He's turned sorrow into joy. Like I, I am somebody who operates up here um, but I'm a feeler too and I think that means that a discouraging word could really crush me Mm -hmm. but it is this process of for me practically like having that alone quiet time with God with Mm. a bible a journal some worship tunes um, going for a run exercise prayer worship journaling having friends like Mm -hmm. doing something fun like for me hearing this of the pastor that I first got hired into ministry to, he retired and he said his biggest regret, he goes, I wish I would have had more fun. Hmm. So I'm kind of like in this season of like, we're hard workers Mm -hmm. and we're launching some things that take a lot of drive, but I want to have more fun. I want to laugh more. (laughs) And so it's just kind of maybe a determination or a decision. That's so good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was our five-minute response to a one question. But, Peter, we have the fifth question for you. And if you could leave the listener with one thing today, one piece of encouragement, what would you say if we handed you the mic and you were in front of an extremely large audience that just needs a piece of encouragement? Oh, this is going to be hard. It's going to be beautiful. And let's go. Come on, let's go. Um, and... Uh, Love God, love others, and um, be ready for those difficult seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, yeah, let's go. I just feel like there's so much, there's so much good that is happening. There's so much more good. And I read the story about the early church and how they loved well in the midst of yeah. chaos and upheaval and plagues and famines. And I just think that's an invitation for us today. Um, so I'd say, let's go. Let's love God. Let's love others. Hey, I am with Peter. I'm with you, man. Yep, let's go. Good. We're talking with Peter Greer, the author of The Gift of Disillusionment. Hope that you'll pick up the book. Hope you find um, as much encouragement and inspiration in this conversation as we have. And mm-hmm. if you want to find out more, we will link some um, information about Peter and the gift of disillusionment in the show notes as well as on young today. But until next time, this is Mike Andrasiah and Peter Greer signing off. Thanks again, Peter. Thanks for having me. What a what a fun conversation.
Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.